Welcome to the Perimenopausal Mamas Podcast for hormonal mamas who want to reclaim their own natural state of health to thrive and raise healthy kids. I'm Dr. Lisa Weeks, naturopathic doctor in Toronto, Canada. I'm a perimenopausal mama to my toddler named Stuart. And I'm Dr. Tony Reed. I'm a naturopathic doctor, birth doula, and hypnobirthing educator in Calgary, Alberta. And I'm a perimenopausal mama to my little girl, Frankie. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not meant to substitute professional medical advice. Always consult with your licensed healthcare provider. Hello, and welcome to the Perimenopausal Mamas podcast. This is Dr. Tony. Today, I am solo, and I'm going to be talking about a topic that a lot of people know and love. I'm going to be talking about coffee and, you know, talk about some things to think about when it comes to your coffee intake. Do you drink too much coffee? Is it would it be a good idea for you to stop coffee, reduce your intake? Do you need to quit coffee? That's a question that uh, a lot of my patients have, and some of my patients will come into the office, into my office, and and expect me to tell them to stop drinking coffee, to eliminate coffee from their lives. Or they actually, some of them will come into my office saying, look, I drink too much coffee. I need to reduce or just eliminate coffee from my life. And so you may be thinking, why? Why would anyone ever say that? Uh, And there can be reasons. And I don't have typically recommendations across the board for people. It, It really is individual. And it really does also come to uh, a reason why I think Lisa and I haven't even done an episode about coffee before. Now, I can only speak for myself. I can't speak for Lisa. She may chime in in a future episode. Uh, We have mentioned coffee, especially in terms of our episode on anxiety, which we'll definitely link to in the show notes on adrenal gland function and stress. And, you know, there's no cookie cutter approach to coffee intake. There's even a reason why I hadn't even thought of doing an episode on coffee until um, there was a really great article in Esquire magazine that really did lay out everything around coffee. And I, and I thought, oh, yeah, that's that's a great topic. I don't typically think that much about coffee because I am not a coffee drinker. And that might be shocking to um, to some people out there. I mean, yeah, there are some people who will absolutely need that coffee in the morning. I may be talking about you. And there are some of us who don't. In fact, you know, about 80% of adults in the US consume caffeine in some form every day. Because again, now we're talking coffee and caffeine is definitely um, in coffee. Coffee is one of those uh, beverages, um, uh, 
of drinks that we most often associate with caffeine. It isn't the only thing that has caffeine in it, which I'll definitely talk about. Um, But really, um, for the vast majority of people, like coffee is the primary caffeine delivery mechanism. Uh, So two thirds of American adults drink it every day. I would assume that that's pretty much the same in Canada. There may be some countries out there where that number is a lot higher. And of course, a lot of people think of it as just an automatic part of their daily life. And so now, again, like I said, it's not 100% of people who consume caffeine or drink coffee, but the vast majority of people will drink coffee. And, you know, again, it's so ubiquitous in our culture and society. I mean, especially you think of that piece of that mommy culture, you may have a mug that says, you know, don't talk to me unless I've had my cup of coffee. There's, you know, a variety of, of you know, uh, variations on that kind of idea and that subject. And, you know, again, it's so common. We, uh, you know, there's coffee, uh, coffee shop culture. I mean, especially um, since the 80s, 90s, I'm thinking, you know, Friends TV show, uh, the the rise of Starbucks, uh, in addition to, of course, all of our favorite local, local coffee shops. I mean, it's definitely part of culture. It's a part of um, connection, socialization, it's a great piece of it. And getting together over a cup of coffee, you know, is so common that you may not even think of caffeine as a drug. And it is, it does have an impact on your biology, your, your biochemistry, your physiology. And uh, that's going to be different for each person. So, I mean, why don't I drink coffee? I've never been a coffee drinker. Um, I will, I distinctly remember the first time I had a cup of coffee at my friend Kim's house. Kim was a definite coffee drinker. I'm trying to remember this, when this was. uh, We must have been around 16. And her mom was at there. My mom was there and she made some coffee. She was just so excited about it. And I had maybe a couple of sips to be polite. I made, may have taken more than one sip to be polite. I really didn't like the taste of it. I've always loved the smell of it. The smell of it so much better than the taste of it. Uh, and so, yeah, it took me years to have coffee after that. And especially, you know, growing up and being in university in the 90s, I absolutely spent a lot of time in coffee shops with my friends. And that's where I I would drink coffee. It would mostly be like really heavy on the sugar and sweet flavoring. I think my favorite coffee drink when I was in university was this Rolo coffee drink at at the penny coffee house shout out to the penny coffee house um but again you know that really it really spoke more to my um my sweet tooth rather than my desire for for coffee or caffeine 
And so why? Why was that? I I really wasn't drawn to coffee because I even distinctly remember after having that big mug of that Rolo coffee drink that it really made me more jittery. It did not sit well with me because, again, coffee and how we react to coffee does have to do with our genetics. Some people have a variation of the gene. And uh, it's funny, even just um, in that article, they mention how the gene that, that breaks down caffeine was actually discovered at the University of Toronto. Yay, Toronto. Um, The enzyme that breaks down, um, or at least is is really important for at least 90% of breakdown of caffeine is the CYP1A2. So some people with a variant of that gene will then have less of that enzyme in their body. And then they break down, metabolize caffeine more slowly. So there are slow metabolizers of caffeine. That is me. I'm a slow metabolizer of caffeine. I am caffeine sensitive. If I had (laughs) a cup of coffee, a cup of caffeinated tea, too much dark chocolate in the evening, it will impact my sleep. I will still be wired when I really need to go to bed. Now, there are some people who don't have that variant and they metabolize caffeine really quickly. And, you know, they can have, again, kind of coffee after dinner or that kind of thing and have no problem falling asleep. And it isn't like this is necessarily, you know, even genetically passed down because um, both my parents are are those kind of people who are fast metabolizers. I am not. So now, of course, your your genes and your genetics aren't everything. And we know with epigenetics that our genes are turned on and turned off and impacted by our nutritional environment and our emotional environment. And um, again, it can really give you, uh, it can really predispose you to, you know, being more of that slow metabolizer or that fast metabolizer of caffeine. So especially if you are a slow metabolizer and you have caffeine, maybe even a few cups of coffee or something that has caffeine, that can really then, um, again, really pump out those stress hormones, that adrenaline in your body longer. So that can really lead to more anxiety, trouble sleeping. Um, and it can really fluctuate, you know, your level of, of energy and mood. So now that's where, again, we need to also kind of keep in mind it's it's easy for me to talk about the downsides of caffeine and coffee and we do know that there are some possible benefits to caffeine. Uh, there is a, a fair amount of antioxidants in coffee that really um, help to support our body, help to um, really repair the damage that we do to ourselves on a day-to-day basis, um, repair that and reduce that inflammation. 
And um, there even are some research studies that show that caffeine may have some protective benefits against some types of cancer, uh, dementia, uh, Parkinson's disease, other neurological disease. Uh, Oh, and even again, there is um, (laughs) even coffee is linked as one of the the leading source of antioxidants in the American diet, which uh, that says something uh, like in its in itself, really um, not great that that coffee is is uh, the top source of antioxidants, um, you know, ahead of fruit, vegetables and other things. and and of course now we're not talking about caffeine in that way. This is coffee, um, other caffeine-rich um, beverages. You know, like you know your caffeinated soda or Red Bull will not have that same impact uh, on um, you know neutralizing free radical damage and oxidative stress in your body. And however, uh, there are still some benefits of caffeine. Caffeine can also boost performance. This has been well known in the athletic fields um, and also can really help to support work performance, which is, again, often why people will reach for a cup of coffee in terms of really not only that energy boost, but a boost in focus um, and, and concentration as well. So while, you know, there, again, a lot of people will depend on coffee, it really is individual in terms of how it impacts you. You know, are you having any issues with sleep, with anxiety, and looking at how much caffeine, how many cups of coffee you take in is really important. Now, if you don't necessarily have those issues, and again, if you know that you're not sensitive to caffeine, there's actually been research showing that um, having a, you know, a certain amount of caffeine, I believe around three cups of coffee will actually be supportive of reducing your risk of heart disease and really support your cardiovascular health. So again, that, that kind of blanket statement that, you know, coffee and caffeine is not good for anyone. Everyone needs to stop. Not necessarily the case. So I definitely don't go there. Um, especially now, maybe, you know, back when I started practicing, I would have been leaning more towards that direction. And so you do need to really look at what's happening with you. How much caffeine are you getting in your system? I'm also going to, in our show notes, I'm going to link to uh, some amounts of caffeine in different substances so you can kind of get a sense of well how much caffeine are we talking about what are we talking about here um i'll just do a a little quick list here so now my favorite (laughs) i think my favorite source of caffeine dark chocolate so like one ounce of dark chocolate has 24 milligrams uh and again this can vary based on the type and and the brand too. So so keep this in mind. But um, typically, a cup of green tea will have 28 milligrams of caffeine. Also, one of my favorite sources of caffeine. Again, great antioxidants and liver support. That's a side note. 
Now, a can of caffeinated soda, um, not to like really shout out any brands, but like Coke, um, has 34 milligrams of caffeine in it. Black tea, a cup of that will have 47 milligrams. Uh, one shot of espresso will have about 65 milligrams, whereas a cup of coffee, eight ounces, will have 100 milligrams. The average American daily consumption is at like one and a half cups of coffee, so 135 milligrams. That's less than, you know, what's in one grande Starbucks latte, you know, 16 ounces is 160 milligrams. The recommended limit for pregnant women in terms of caffeine is 200 milligrams. The recommended limit for non-pregnant adults is 400 milligrams. You know, whereas, you know, uh, some of those energy drinks will also have a lot of caffeine. So again, you can look at any, any, any energy drinks that you buy, uh, you know, one of the brands like Rockstar Original, it's a 16 ounce can. It has 160 milligrams. Um, they're another different type of Rockstar energy drink. The Rockstar Endurance has actually 300 milligrams. So that's really, um, inching towards that recommended limit for, again, non-pregnant adults. Uh, and there's definitely, you know, you may know of, you may be one of those people who are constantly drinking coffee or um, energy drinks or having chocolate and having multiple sources of caffeine in a day. You really do need to add it up, you know, especially looking at how big your mug or how big your your cup of coffee is, uh, then that can, again, really add up. If you are having, you know, the equivalent of, you know, uh, three or four grande lattes, then you are really, you know, getting closer to... Um, a caffeine toxicity dose, which is about 1200 milligrams of caffeine. So again, if you're having like 10 cups of coffee a day, which, or the equivalent to that in terms of a number of energy drinks or, or, or coffees, then you, that really is something to, to pay attention to. Because again, that's where you can have those health effects. Um, when it comes to, you know, that, that impact of all of that caffeine impacting your nervous system. Now, uh, it's interesting because for some people, and I think back to a good friend of mine in university who was cutting out Coke and coffee. And I remember we were supposed to go for a hike and she couldn't get out of bed because the physical withdrawal symptoms can be huge when it comes to caffeine and coffee. And that can be a huge obstacle um, when it comes to that idea of, of quitting. The interesting thing as well is it's um, it can be a common cause of headaches. And it can also be used for headaches. And this is where I may have mentioned it in my migraine episode link to that in the show notes that we re- recently re-released that where I 
actually found that I really did cut out coffee, especially in university and really stopped drinking it so that I could save up my coffee and my caffeine boost for when I had a migraine. Because it can be a really effective treatment for headaches. And that really, um, you know, was the case for me at, at least once or twice. Um, and maybe not even just in the form of coffee, but also in the form of a very popular energy drink as well. So that can be sometimes helpful for people. Something else to consider, though, is, you know, if you are drinking coffee for a boost of energy, is and you've been relying on coffee to fuel you through work, through school, through, you know, um, you know, becoming a parent, uh, you may find that reducing or cutting out caffeine has you feeling really tired and really fatigued. And now, is it because you need that coffee or that caffeine? Or is it because that your use of caffeine was just masking fatigue and that you've really been underrested and not getting the proper rest and sleep for a number of years. Now, again, it's interesting because again, that caffeine withdrawal can be a real issue so much so that um, the DSM-5, the, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, actually lists caffeine withdrawal as a condition. It doesn't include like caffeine use disorder like it would for alcohol or other drugs. However, it's interesting because the American Psychiatric Association that oversees that manual is considering caffeine use disorder for the inclusion in its next edition. So, um, it's, you know, something to think about. Do you have an addiction to coffee? Do you have an addiction to caffeine? And while it might not meet really a strict medical de definition of an addiction or being addictive, we do know that our body will adjust to it so that it can create a certain amount of dependence on it. And um, again, you may find that you continue to use it despite its negative effect on your life, and you may want to quit, but you have trouble doing so. In that sense, it can really fit the idea of an addiction. So again, a lot to think about when it comes to coffee. And Things may be changing because, again, for us um, Gen Xers out there um, that uh, or or again, you know, any baby boomers out there have been found to definitely use more coffee and consume more coffee than people who are younger. It looks like the consumption of coffee is really going down. Um, so there was a study that showed that you know, about half of millennials um, are, you know, can't live without coffee, where and, you know, about a third of younger um, Gen Z 
uh, or Gen Z for you Americans out there can't live without coffee. So, you know, younger and younger people are more willing to go without coffee and, and are less likely to keep coffee on hand at home. It, it, it is interesting. Something to think about in terms of taking out coffee or reducing coffee uh, often is even that that habit and the behavior piece of coffee. You know, having your hands around a hot mug of coffee can really feel really relaxing. And um, it's interesting because it's actually can be a really great practice for nervous system regulation, you know, to be present to that sensation of holding that mug and feeling that heat on on your fingers uh, on your hands um so again it's a can be a great practice does it need to be coffee can you replace it with maybe uh another beverage that has less coffee or less caffeine in it um you know there are a number of of um other options out there that have lower caffeine. Again, like I mentioned, green tea, black tea. There's other, again, coffees that are made from different mushrooms, like lion's mane, chaga. There's different um, coffee alternatives made with chicory, dandelion. So again, these are um, are definitely options, and it seems that they are even, you know, um, increasing in their presence on, um, you know, in the market as well. So while, again, you know, that caffeine, uh, taking in that caffeine can be a really quick way of, you know, getting that jolt of energy and alertness. Um, and, uh, and especially in terms of physical performance can boost strength and lower reaction time. Uh, again, it's a matter of looking at, you know, are you overstimulating your nervous system? Are you creating more agitation? Are you increasing your blood pressure and your heart rate um, and impacting your cardiovascular health? So some things to think about in terms of coffee. So while, again, I asked the question, do you need to quit coffee? I'm not going to provide you with an answer. It really has to do with, you know, how your body responds, your life. Is it having a negative impact? That's a question you need to ask yourself. And that's a question only you can answer for sure. So I'll also share with you that, you know, what else is happening with um, me and Dr. Lisa, my next hypnobirthing session for expecting parents looking to decrease that fear and anxiety and support their natural instincts around labor and birth is happening later this fall. So you can join me at hypnobirthingcalgary.com slash register. You can also join Dr. Lisa's Facebook group, Wild Woman Adventures Toronto, if you want to get out in nature, connect with other women, push yourself out of your comfort zone. And uh, let me share with you also uh, my super mom moment and mama mess up for this week. Uh, really quickly, I, I had a really lovely super mom moment the other day. And, you know, maybe I'll take some credit. It's not all my credit, but it was really fun because 
uh, Frankie was having a bath and she has this yellow bucket that she uses in her bath and she wanted me to put cold water in it. So I was like, okay, I put cold water in it. She put her feet in it and she was just like, oh, you know, it was a little bit of a shock, but she really enjoyed it. And I thought, oh, that's me just supporting maybe a future love of hers or a current love of hydrotherapy. Again, a little bit of a cold plunge of her feet while she's in her warm bath. Uh, again, can also have some great benefits to it. If you've listened to, uh, again, our previous episode on hydrotherapy uh, with Dr. Lisa. And um, and again, we've talked about it in different um, episodes as well. So I just thought that was a bit of a super bomb moment. I could have said no. I could have said, you're crazy, kid. There's no way I'm letting you put, you know, your feet in cold water. And uh, I think it's just really great to encourage her to play around with, with that kind of good stress, you stress on her system. Now, of course, I have a mama mess up to share. I, you know, just yesterday we were out shopping, uh, went to the farmer's market, uh, went out to Canadian Tire to get some things. Again, very Canadian thing to do. And both times we went out shopping, I took Frankie with me and I forgot her water bottle. So, of course, we're getting in the car and she says, oh, I'm thirsty. Do you have my water bottle? No, I completely forgot it. At least at the farmer's market, they had water fountains there. So it wasn't like I, sh- I made her be completely dehydrated. It was just not a great, um, not a great moment. It was definitely a mama mess up. Like what? I'm Yes, it still happens. And time to start remembering the water bottle, especially since it's so nice out and uh, nice and summery. So also... Summer is definitely connected with today's um, mama must have this week. Um, But also, you know, over the past few weeks, I've been a huge, huge fan of hibiscus tea. So lovely, so lovely to drink in the summertime Um, to make a little infusion of hibiscus. Um, It has a nice red color, a nice uh, flavor to it provides some great antioxidants. I think I've been thinking about it more and more way back since Dr. Lisa did a great episode on skin health with uh, Dr. Jen Newell. So I'll definitely link to that in the show notes. Again, those antioxidants are great for our skin, reducing that damage to our skin. And also it can really help to support healthy blood pressure. And be delicious. You can drink it hot. You can drink it cold. It can be your iced tea for the summer. So again, big fan of hibiscus tea, whether you get it loose or in tea bags. So thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you really enjoyed my little foray into caffeine and coffee. Again, you can find the show notes at our website, perimenopausalmamas.com. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. We'd love for you to subscribe. Leave us a review and a five-star rating if you enjoyed this episode. And of course, you can always support us by visiting our Patreon page and to tell your perimenopausal mama friends about us too. The more you share our episodes, 
the more that women like you will get the kind of information that we provide to you on a regular basis. So stay safe and healthy, everyone. Have a great day and we'll see you again soon.